to be with you. So good. Well, it is my first time in Montana. And I have discovered something already about Montana, that you have every type of weather in one day. It's amazing. When you open the door, you're like, what will it be this time? Could be rain, could be snow, could be hail, could be a blizzard. But it's so good to be with you, and I would love to pray before we open the Word today together across all campuses, just to make sure that the soil of our heart is ready to receive the seed of God's Word. You know, there's nothing wrong with God's seed, nothing at all. But often what is wrong is our soil. Our soil is busy. Our soil is... It's distracted. Our soil is weary. And so we have to take a moment every time we come to the Word of God to prepare our hearts to receive the seed. So, Father, we just come today to you. And we just say to you, God, speak. We make room in our hearts for the seed of your Word to be planted. We shake off the distractions. We drown out all the other noises. God, we want your voice, we want your word. It is a lamp to our feet, it is a light to our path. We would be lost without it. And so God, I pray fresh life today would fall. In every campus, there would be a sense of leaning into your word. And God, I pray I would get out of the way so that you can have your way. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. You take your seat. Well, we've had the privilege of having your pastor with us in the UK, and now I get to be with you in all the different campuses here in Montana today, and I am thrilled about that. And as you're in the summer reading series, I am really excited to get to speak to you on this topic, which has become a key topic to me, and something that I'm going to delve into over these next few moments together. But you know, before I do that, I should let you know how this came about. I should let you know how the book even came about. And what happened was a little while ago, I was in my kitchen at home doing the dishes. And as I was doing the dishes in my kitchen, I was, began to sing this song. And it's a really old song, and I can't sing, so you have to forgive me for the song part. But it was that old tune, I have decided, I have decided, come on, to follow Jesus, all the campuses. I have decided to follow Jesus. Sounding good, Billings. I have decided, come on, Whitefish, to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. That old school song went over and over in my head as I was doing the dishes, but it didn't stop there. I kept humming it. And usually when that happens to me, I know God God's trying to say something to me. So I was like, okay, God, I need this song out of my head because it's not cool anymore. I've sang it all day. So can you tell me why it is that I seem to keep stuck on this song? And I felt God say, have you? Wow. I was like, sorry, Lord, I think you got the wrong girl. I am the preacher girl, served God all my life, been in a local church all my life. I'm the good girl. Of course, I have decided to follow you. Moi, isn't it obvious? I am following you. I kind of got a little offended that, that God would be asking me this kind of question. And so I had to dig a little deeper. And I began to realize that often I say I'm following Jesus, 
But how closely I'm letting him lead sometimes can be this close and sometimes this close. It's kind of like if you've ever gone on a trip somewhere with friends and somebody says in the group, I'll take the lead. Everybody follow me. And so you all get in your vehicles and you get behind your friend who's the one that's leading the way. Hello? But somehow in the midst of the journey, they forget what they said to you. And now they've got a lead foot on the accelerator. And now they're like taking off. And before it was easy to follow them when there was just you and that car. But now they enter the freeway and you're like, where did they go? Which car are they? And you're like, I'm so confused right now. I know it's red, but there are a lot of red cars in Montana. Which one are you? That's kind of how it is with following Jesus. When we first start to follow him, we're right close behind, as it were, the bumper of the car. We're right close into his word. We're leaning in. We're going to discipleship classes. We're asking questions. We're, we show up at everything, even if we're supposed to be there or not supposed to be there. We're just hungry. But then life gets busy like that freeway. Lots of other things get on the agenda. Lots of other vehicles get involved in our life. And lots of other things have our attention. And if we're not careful, though we are following Jesus is in front. We are following. We're not quite sure which car it is. And so we invent things that we say, well, this is God, but actually it's us putting something else in the driving seat. And so when I felt God asked me this question, it wasn't had I backslidden. It wasn't didn't I love him anymore. It was more of do you know which vehicle you're following in all of the vehicles that are an option for your life? You know, it's entirely possible to lose Jesus. <laughs> he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But that doesn't mean that we are the same. That's, that's his end of the deal. Our end of the deal oftentimes is that we do leave and we do forsake and we do forget. And we can almost, as it were, lose Jesus. And if you don't think that's possible, you should read your Bible. Because actually, Jesus' parents did actually lose Jesus. I mean, there's a bad day and then there's a really bad day. This was not like losing your sunglasses or losing your car keys or losing your favorite CD. This was losing the hope of the world. Right? This is like, this is a bad day. And the Bible records it for us to feel better about when we lose Jesus. Thankfully, the Bible tells us everyone else's mistakes. And it's recorded in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, verse 42. It talks about how they went up to the Passover festival as a family. And it says, after the festival was over, while his parents, Jesus' parents, were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Listen to this line. But they were unaware of it, thinking, assuming he was in their company. They traveled on for a day, and then they realized, I think we've lost Jesus. <laughs> so they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. They began looking for him where they thought he should be. Wow. We can assume that Jesus should be in certain places. We can start to assume, well, you should be here or you should be there. But Jesus was not with his relatives. He wasn't hanging out with all the other 12-year-old boys on the soccer pitch. 
He wasn't playing in the water by the side of the road like the other kids were in the heat of the day. Jesus was not in any of the places they thought he should be because Jesus was now in the place where God had told him to be, where he was destined to be. And so the last place that they would look was the place where they would find him. And it took them three days to discover that Jesus was in the house of God. And when they found him, with all of their panic, I mean, imagine the arguments in the marriage on that day. <laughs> I told you to watch Jesus. No, you did not. You told me to watch the donkey. You said, you've got Jesus. No, I did not. It is not my responsibility. I can't be responsible for everything. I mean, there was tension at a whole nother level. And now they're frantically searching. And so they finally find him. And when they find him, he simply says to them, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? See, they had thought that Jesus would always follow them. They weren't prepared for the day when the role would be reversed and now they were to follow him. When Jesus came to his disciples, he could have said anything in the selection of the disciples. He could have had a script, he could have had a job, preview. He could have sat down and said, I want to talk to you all about something that's going on. But Jesus, who was not ever careless with words, simply chose two words to start their discipleship ministry. And those two words were, follow me. In other words, if you can get these two words at the forefront of your ministry, you will be fine. But if you drift from the first two words that I ever speak to you, you will lose perspective about what this is all about. Disciples of Jesus are followers of Jesus. And following Jesus is not something that you can just take for granted. It's something you have to be deliberate about. You have to tune out all the other voices and know which one is his. You have to know which vehicle it is that you're following. I have decided to follow Jesus. So if they can lose Jesus, then we can lose Jesus. And so I want to examine just for a moment one of the areas where I believe a lot of us lose Jesus. A lot of us kind of get distracted, lose focus, go off on a different agenda. We begin to drift from what it is that we're called into. And I want to describe this area as the middle. We have a middle problem. I'm not talking about this middle, so everyone breathe a sigh of relief. If you have a middle problem here too, I will pray for that at the end. No, there's no laying on of hands on middles today. I'll leave that for Pastor Levi next week. You're welcome. What I mean by that is there are three stages that we all travel through all the time. There is the beginning, there is the middle, and there is the end. These are three areas that we keep traveling through at different seasons of our life. Now, beginnings are the place where we sense excitement. Something's about to start. Something's about to be birthed. Something's about to get going. We're going to begin a new church campus. We're going to begin a new job. We're going to begin a new course. We're going to begin a new relationship. Beginnings have excitement and momentum to them. And then over here, we have endings. 
And endings have something called the joy of completion. You're like, thank the Lord Jesus, it's over. You're like, I graduated. I got the house keys. I, I passed the test. I, I got the job. Whatever it is, it's like a sense of I achieved something. Endings have a sense of joy they bring you because they represent a journey you've been on. So beginnings have momentum. Endings have celebration. But behold, I show you the middle. The middle. It's the longest area that we spend time. It's the place where we're going to be far more than beginnings or endings. This middle area. The world have even tried to throw a name at what happens in the middle. And they've invented this thing of midlife crisis to explain the fact that we don't do well in the middle. It's when we change our hair, when we shouldn't change our hair. It's when we wear an outfit that really is not appropriate for someone of our age. Things are going wrong in the middle. And the world try and tidy up, but the middle is when you realize that actually the energy of the beginning is waning, and we don't yet see the joy of what's to come. You know, when you first get married, there's a reason why you say your vows at the beginning, <laughs> right? You're like, I do, in sickness and in health, I do. Till death has depart, I do for better or worse. There's a reason why they're at the beginning. Because in the middle, if you had to say them, you'd be editing them. You'd be like, I'm not sure about that one, and I'm not sure about that one. And I think I'd take out this clause and this clause. You'd be like changing them all about. Because in the middle, you don't quite feel the excitement that you felt at the beginning. At the beginning, you're marrying Prince Charming. But in the middle, sometimes he looks more like Shrek. <laughs> Just as what happens, you're like, what happened? That's why we say those things at the beginning, but the middle is where we struggle. The middle is where it becomes difficult. The middle is where we think about quitting. And some of you today, you're in the middle. You're in the middle in your marriage. You're in the middle in your job. You're in the middle in your parenting. You're in the middle in your faith, and you're beginning to fight those feelings that want you to stop following Jesus, that want you to bail out, that want you to go overboard, that say, what is the point? I have no energy for this anymore. I don't feel the same as I did when it began. I can't even see when the end is coming. It's in the middle that all of those things we begin to battle with, and I guarantee in every campus today, many of you, are struggling in the middle. But the good news for you today is that God does his best miracles in the middle. Yes, he does. I'm going to take you to a story in the Bible where that exact situation happened for the disciples. The story is found in Mark 6, verse 45. And it's an interesting situation and a context because the story that we're about to read follows a miracle that Jesus has just done on the shore. He'd just been on the shore where crowds had gathered. So many people that were pushing and coming to hear Jesus and he just fed thousands of people. You know, there'll always be a crowd to come and see the Jesus on the shore. There'll always be a crowd to come and see the Jesus of the spectacular. Those that want to come for his miracles and those want to come for the signs and wonders, those want to come for the show, there'll always be crowds that gather for that Jesus. But the real test is whether you can follow the Jesus the disciples knew. Because Jesus says, we're not hanging around on the shore of this miracle. I need you to actually carry on, we're going somewhere else. So Jesus says, immediately after this miracle, we're not camping here, we're not staying here, 
We're not gonna build a monument here. There's somewhere else we need to go, so let's keep going. So it says in verse 45, immediately after this miracle, Jesus, I love this, made, <laughs> not suggested, not, not said this might be a good idea. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And he said to them, go on ahead of me to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd and after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, this is the Jesus that many of us don't like to follow. We love the Jesus that just broke the bread and fed thousands. We love the Jesus that sat down and taught as a message that would make our eyes pop out of our head. We love the Jesus that heals the leper, delivers the demon possessed, calls forth people out of their graves, but we don't so much like the Jesus who says, get in your boat and row, row, row your boat <laughs> gently down the stream. <laughs> we don't like the Jesus who says, go to Beth Saida. We don't like the Jesus that writes us some instructions and then says, here's your homework. Oh, and by the way, I'm gonna go up the hill and pray. So I need you to go and do this thing with me knowing that I'm gonna meet you at the other side. This is the Jesus that asks us to follow instructions. Now, the reason why I know that many of us don't like this Jesus is because we don't read the instructions he's already left us. Oh, well, I just feel like I need to go and date that guy. Does he love Jesus? Well, no, but I believe Jesus can move him that way. <laughs> awesome. Well, maybe you should wait till Jesus has moved him that way, because if you check the instruction book for dating, you'll find that there's some things Jesus has to say about that. Oh, no, no, I don't like the Jesus that asked me to follow instructions. Well, I feel that the Lord would like to bless me financially. Awesome. I also feel the Lord would like you to tithe. Oh, no, 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 I don't like that, Jesus. I just came for my debts to be prayed away and for favor to be prayed over me. But pastor, I won't be here to put tithe in the offering because that's like, that's like that's a different Jesus. No, that's the Jesus of the instruction manual. Well, you know, I, 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 I really feel like I should be used by the Lord. And I really feel that I have this amazing gift that the world needs to know about. And I just think around here, no one sees the greatness within me. And the instruction manual says, great, now work on your bad attitude. And go away and deal with your temper. And what about that bitterness and unforgiveness? That's all in the instruction manual of how you get to be used by God. Oh, no, 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 I don't like the instruction manual. So we like the Jesus on the shore, but we don't like that Jesus that says, get in your boat. I mean, I think if Jesus had said, now boys, I'm going to wave my hands. And after I wave my hands, you're gonna be anointed to float over the water. And I'm gonna send you, you're gonna like levitate to Bethsaida. I think they'd be going, me first, me first, me first. I wanna go, I wanna go. I wanna levitate to Bethsaida. But when he said, get in the boat and row it, like he didn't even have an engine, like get in the boat and row it. The guys are like, are you kidding me? It's kind of like how I feel when I visit the store Ikea. <laughs> I hate that store. <laughs> I have been banned from that store. And the reason why is that I once went to that store 
because I needed a chest of drawers on that day to put in a room in my house. And so I went to the store and I got a cart and I walked around the store and I saw on the side the perfect set of drawers. Perfect color, perfect handles, perfect. So I lifted the said set of drawers and put them in my cart. And then I pushed my cart to the cashier and I said, I would like these drawers. And she looked at me like I was from Mars. <laughs> she said, row G42. I said, sorry? She said, row G42. And I looked at her again and she said, these drawers are not for sale. If you want these drawers, go to row G, number 42, and you'll find a flat pack box with these drawers in them. Yep. I said, lady, I don't want drawers that are in a box. I want these drawers. And she said, you cannot have these drawers. And so I pushed it one more further. I said, lady, have pity on me. I am a preacher, married to a pastor. There is no one in my house that knows how to build these drawers. <laughs> Help me out, lady. Let me take these ones. She was like, Roji, number 34, get out of my line. And I had to go to Roji, 34, and find that there was a box full of instructions. But see, what we want is to take things off the shelf. I want a marriage like yours, but I don't want to go to Roji, 34, and build it. I, I want a family like yours, but I don't want to go to row G34 to build it. I, I, I want a church like yours, but I don't want to go to row G34 to build it. I, I want finances like yours, but I don't have time to go to row G34 to make it happen. I just want it off the shelf now. And God's like, I know you'd like to bypass the middle, but no deal. Middles are coming, so you better learn to love the instructions as much as you love the shore. So the disciples had to go to the boat. So they get their instructions and they go and they get in their boat. I was like, do you think you could get me a boat? They were like, it's Montana. I was like, oh, okay, you have boats, you have everything here. So they get in their boat and they are in their boat and they start to row, row, row their boat gently down the stream. But watch what happens next. As they're in their boat, it says later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. Of course it was. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. The enemy's not going to mess with your boat when you can quickly go back to the shore. The enemy's not going to get involved stirring up the waters when you can safely paddle back and get back out of the boat. The enemy's not interested, actually, until you get to the middle. Because here's what the enemy knows about the middle. If you take one stroke past the middle, you are closer to your ending than you are your beginning. So in the middle, the enemy gets really busy with wind and wave and disturbance because he never wants you to push past the middle. He doesn't want you to discover the miracle that is in the middle. So in the middle of the lake, just by chance, that predictable enemy begins to send a storm. And Jesus is watching, what will they do 
in their middle, just like he's watching you and I of what we will do in our middle. He says he saw the disciples, I love that it puts this word in there, straining. I mean, that's like a word, straining at the oars because the wind was against them. It's not like, this is not a pretty picture. This is not like, do, 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 do. we're just going to Bethsaida. This is like, Aah! and some of you are in church and you're on your campus today and you're like, do, do, do. on the outside, but on the inside, you're like, Aah! I want to kill my husband. Aah! I want to kill my kids. Lord, I know I prayed for them. I know they're a miracle, but I want to send them back right about now. God, I know I asked you to use me in ministry, but I, I, I've changed my mind. I, I want to give it back to you, Lord. I, I don't like it anymore. I, I, I know, Lord, that I said that, you know, I would follow you, but I didn't think it would mean going here and being there. And so, you know, Lord, I want to change my mind. And we're straining at the oars. Some of you right now, the best word to describe your marriage, your family, the situation you find yourself in, your business, is that you feel like you're straining on the inside. I don't know that I can push one more oar in the water. I don't know that I can get any further. I feel the wind. I feel the waves. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle, God. What are you going to do about it? I'm in the middle. I'm not near the shore anymore, and I can't see the next shore. I can't see where I'm heading. I'm just literally in the middle, and it feels dark, and I feel alone. Well, you know what? It's in the middle. You're going to find out what's in the middle of you. Now, just when you think it can't get worse, check out Jesus' response. Jesus, meek and mild, sweet, sweet Jesus. Jesus that cares for me, Jesus that loves me, Jesus that never wants me to strain or sweat. No, that Jesus did not show up in this moment. Okay, here's Jesus. This is what Jesus does. It says, Jesus sees the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So he went out to them, walking on the lake, listen to this line, and he was about to pass them by. <laughs> what? It's like, here they are like, we're dying, we're dying, we're dying. Here's Jesus. See you on the other side. I'll put the kettle on. Keep on coming. Jesus is like no intention of stopping. He's got no intention of, of breaking a sweat. He's got no intention of like entering the chaos. Because here's what Jesus knows. I have already given you a word that's in your boat. I said, go to Bethsaida and I will meet you there. And I am not a God that will lie. I'm not someone that changes my mind. So why are you freaking out in the middle when I've already told you I'll meet you at the next shore? <laughs> oh, but the doctor said, oh, but the doctor said, oh, but this has happened. Oh, but my job. God's like, go back to the instruction manual. What did I say? What have I spoken over your life is already in the boat with you. Remind your soul who it is that you serve. Remind your heart who it is that it worships. Remind yourself in the middle of what was spoken to you on the shore. Jesus is about to pass them by. He's like, guys, are we not past this? Like, you've been following me all this time and you're freaking out because it's a bit of wind. 
Do you not believe that when I say I'm going to meet you there, I'm going to meet you there? Jesus is like, come on, guys. So as they're straining at the oars, and he's about to pass them by, his kindness and his mercy overwhelms. And so he turns to them, and he gets in the boat, and then he says to them three things. He says, listen. He spoke to the waves, and immediately they became still, and then he said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. See, in your middle, that's all God wants to remind some of you of. He wants to remind you to keep the courage that got you in the boat in the first place. He wants to remind you that it is I and I am good to my word. It is I, the God who said, and my word does not return void. He wants to remind you, hello, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because perfect love has cast out fear. Don't let the wind and the waves turn you back around from your death. Stop going back to where you last felt safe. Stop allowing the wind and the waves to push you back to the shore that you felt the safest on. But in the middle, have the courage to push forward to the new shore that awaits you. See, what they wouldn't realize then, but they would realize later, is that the greatest miracle in the middle is the only place you will ever see a water-walking Jesus is in the middle. Everybody had seen Jesus with sand under his sandals. Everyone had seen Jesus sat on the grassy hill teaching. So many had seen Jesus walking around within reach of their grasp. But it's only the ones that go into the middle that see the Jesus that can walk on water. That's the only place you'll see him. So instead of thinking, I'm drowning, take courage. Instead of thinking, I'm sinking, take courage. Instead of thinking, God, where are you? Look up and do not be afraid. And instead of expecting the worst, begin to realize I am about to have a miracle in the middle. I'm about to see him. You discover aspects of Jesus in the middle that you will never discover on the shore. You discover aspects of his grace and his mercy that you never discover on the shore. You discover the power that is in his word in the middle, way more dynamic than what you do when you're sat listening on the shore. There's something about the middle that begins to do something in the middle of you. There's something about what you sense and what, when you're in the middle, you pray harder. When you're in the middle, you hang on harder. When you're in the middle, you're more desperate. You're more passionate. You're more leaning in. In the middle, you begin to see a revelation of Jesus so different than when you're on the safety of the shore. So instead of fearing the middle, do not be afraid. Instead of thinking, I'll never get through it, realize, no, I will. It's just another stroke of the R. Whatever your middle is, in the middle of your marriage, you've got to pick up the R again. So, so many of us in the wind and the waves, we drop our R. We're like, I can't do this anymore. We drop the R and we just sit there and we allow the wind and the waves to knock the boat of our life around. 
We let go of the things that give us a sense of stability and bearing. And Jesus was saying to them in the, in the middle, look in the boat. Remember what I said to you. Remember who it was that gave you these instructions in the first place. You have to cling on in the middle to the word. You have to cling on in the middle to the awe. And even if it's not a pretty face, even if it looks ugly, even if you're straining, let the strain strengthen you. Don't let it break you. Let the middle become a miracle for your future. Don't in the middle give up. Because every time you drop your oil in the middle, there's only one thing that will happen. You'll begin to drift back to your past. And here's the thing. Jesus was not on the last shore. Jesus was on the next shore. So many times we drift back to the familiar. We just drift back to the place where we last felt safe because we assume Jesus will come there instead. But Jesus said, no, no, I'm over here. I'm waiting for you over here. This is where the next season of blessing is for your life. But you're going to have to push past the resistance and push past the temptation to go back to what was last familiar. So if you're in the middle today, I need you to hear God say, take courage. If you're in the middle today as a man and wife, and you're finding it hard to cling on to that vow that you made at the beginning and you can't see that there'll ever be any happiness at the end of this story. In the middle, you've got to come back to what you said to one another. I made a promise. I made a commitment. I made a vow. And in the middle, I'm going to have to hold it up a lot more. I'm going to have to look at it a lot more. And I'm going to have to take courage and not be afraid and keep believing that the best is yet to come. In the middle of that business crumbling, look for the water walking Jesus that is coming towards you, saying, it is I. It's I. It's me. This is not some friend that gave you a word. This is me, God himself. I don't know where this finds you today, but I would love it if we could stand to our feet. Because as we bring this to a close, I want you to identify the middle that you're in. Where is the middle for you right now? What does it look like? Where is it that you are straining at the oars? God sees. And God today is speaking right into your situation and saying to you, there is a miracle in the middle. Just eyes closed all across the room. I'm gonna pray over you in each campus. I'm gonna ask you in this moment to identify what that middle is for you. And if you're saying in any part of this message today, if you're saying to yourself, I am in the middle, I, that's exactly the language that I would use to describe where I'm at. Then in this moment right now, I'm simply asking you to do something brave. I'm asking you to lift your hand. And that hand is saying, I find myself in the middle. And God, I don't wanna quit in my middle. God, I don't wanna drift back in my middle. God, I don't want to go back to the familiar. I want to go to the future. I want you to lift your hand if that's you, and I'm gonna pray for you in a moment. But as your hand's raised, I wanna speak over you what Jesus spoke over those disciples. Take courage. Take it. It's yours to take. You can leave it, you can drop it, or you can grab a hold of it. Take courage. It is 
light. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I have not forgotten you. It is I. It is your God. It is the one that sings over you as you sleep. It is the one who is faithful to his word. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not allow fear in. Do not let it freeze you in the middle. Let the miracle in the middle awaken the miracle in you. Now, Father, you see every hand raised. All these hands today that represent a middle in someone's life. The hands that represent the middle in that marriage. The hands that represent the middle in that parenting. The hands that represent that middle of waiting to meet the right person. The hand that represents the middle in the barrenness. The middle in the illness. The middle waiting for a healing, for a breakthrough. God, you see our hands raised to you. God, we are so aware we cannot do this without you. But we are also so aware that God, you are with us in the middle. I pray today for a revelation to dawn on your church all over again, that you are the water walking Jesus in the middle. You are the one who walks on water, that comes towards our life, that speaks courage into our spirit. God, I pray for every person, they would discover the miracle in the middle for their situation today. Because God, you are able and God, you see. Now allow God to minister to you. Allow the straining to stop. Allow the peace to come. Allow His presence to overwhelm the problem. Allow the miracle to begin to unfold in your middle. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. What an incredible message. Thank you for joining us this week for this teaching at Fresh Life Church. If at any point during the message you felt led to make a decision for Christ, please click the Know God tab on our website. Once you're there, you'll find a short video that will help you learn a little bit more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we would love to congratulate you and support you in this decision by sending you some resources that will help you start your relationship with God on the right foot. Also, if you've been impacted by the ministry at Fresh Life, we would love to hear about it. You can go to the Share Your Story tab on our website, fill out the form, let us know how God's working in your life. Trust me when I tell you that this is so encouraging to our staff and to our entire church. We love hearing how we're impacting you and how God is working in your life. Lastly, if you'd like to partner with us financially and support the work that God is doing through Fresh Life, you can click the Give tab on our website. That will take you to a safe and secure website where you can set up a one-time gift or a reoccurring gift that will help us continue to help those stranded in sin find life and liberty in Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for joining us.